you in the Lord's house today. Uh, welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, it's a great day. It's a great day to be in the Lord's house. Uh, we are working our way through uh, Tom Rainer's little book, I Am a Church Member. If you haven't received your free copy, there's still some back in the Welcome Center. Uh, please pick one up before you leave today if you haven't already gotten one for your family. Uh, I'm kind of going along each chapter, and uh, we're reading this as a church, and then uh, on that particular Sunday morning for that chapter, I'm, I'm writing a sermon that coincides with the chapter. Today is chapter 5, I Will Lead My Family to Be Healthy Church Members. And I pray that you take that seriously. Uh, if you are a parent or a grandparent, that, that you do the best you can to raise your families to be good church members. A couple of years ago at Christmas time, a news report came out of Paradise, California, of a man who was lost in the mountains with his three children for three days during a snowstorm. The story is that of Frederick Dominguez and his three teenage children. They attended church one Sunday morning, and then they drove out to the mountains for an excursion to find the perfect Christmas tree. Before long, as they worked their way through the woods, they lost their way. The only other person that knew that they went looking for a tree was Frederick's ex-wife and the mother of the children. But she had no way of knowing they hadn't returned safely until the kids didn't show up for school on Monday morning. So the rescue parties were sent out. The problem was that one snowstorm had covered the family's tracks and an even bigger snowstorm was on its way. By the time the authorities began their search on Monday night, the first snowstorm had dumped over eight inches of snow around the family's pickup truck, obliterating any tracks. In the meantime, as you can imagine, these Four family members were getting cold and hungry and scared. For three frightening nights out in the wild, the father tried to keep his children succumbing to the numbing cold. By day number three, the storm had dumped more than a foot of snow in the mountains, leaving drifts over seven feet high in places. They eventually wandered into a culvert that allowed a creek to flow beneath a dirt road, and they stayed there until their rescue. It was a miserable place, cold and cramped and wet and cold, but it provided just enough shelter to keep them alive. One night it rained, sending snow melt shooting down that tunnel. At one point, Alexis, the youngest daughter, lost her shoe, and so she had to sleep the night without a shoe, her foot being exposed. Frederick took his sweatshirt and ripped it into pieces and wrapped it around her foot, rubbing it all night to keep it warm. Outside, they found branches and sticks to spell out a word, help, so that people from the air could see. To keep their spirits up, they would sing praise songs from their church. The breakthrough in the search came mid-afternoon on Wednesday when the highway patrol helicopter spotted Dominguez standing on a bridge waving his arms. As the family was taken by helicopter back to civilization and to medical treatment, they began to talk about their ordeal and how the family members who were found less than a mile and a half from the road said that they got lost by going from pine tree to pine tree trying to find the perfect Christmas tree until they realized they were lost. 
Frederick joked that next Christmas he was either going to buy a plastic tree or a compass. <laughs> you know, I read that story and I thought about how that so easily happens to families. We lose our way. And it's not that any of us ever set out to destroy our families or to get our families into, into trouble. It, it happens for us just like it happened to the Dominguez family. Just going from one tree to the next. We go from one thing to the next thing looking for a better thing until we lose our way. We need a compass in our lives, don't we? We need a compass in our homes. And I'm here to tell you that we do have a compass today. It's God's Word. It's the only reliable guide. And with that, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. I wrote this sermon this week realizing that we have many different families in our church. We have young families with small children. We have other families trying to raise teenagers. Maybe you're a part of a single parent family. There are empty nesters in our home. Did you know that we have grandparents in our church that are trying to raise their grandchildren? Maybe you live alone as a single adult, or maybe you are a widow or a widower. Whatever your situation is, if I've named it there, I want you to know that's okay. The point is that whatever your family looks like, that you lay God's Word down right in the middle of your home, and God's Word becomes the compass by which you navigate not only your individual life, but also the life of your family. You see, your family needs to model that, 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 uh, that word that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Let me tell you something, families. You're going to face rain and floods and winds. It's the world we live in. Your family must be built on the solid rock the compass which is the Word of God. In fact, you, you need to say what Joshua was saying about his family when he stood before Israel and said, Choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you're living. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And families, that's where it begins. Somebody in your home is going to have to stand up and make a decision. This is the way we're going to live life. This is the way we're going to do family. This is the way we're going to interact not only with people in this house, but with people in the world. And our guide and our compass is going to be the Word of God. And if you're going to live under this roof, this is the way you're going to live. I'm just getting fired up, okay? Hang with me. That brings us to Colossians chapter 3. This is an amazing chapter. The entire chapter is about how we live as Christ followers. The first four verses talk about our attitude. That is, 
our way of thinking that changes when we become a Christian. Did you know everything changes when you give your heart to Jesus? Your life changes, your mind changes, your attitude changes. That's what the first four verses are about. Then the next few verses talk about the great exchange that happens every day. When we choose as followers of Jesus to take off those old habits that are a part of the old way of life and then choose to put on the new habits that are part of our new life in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 12 we get into this section that talks about our relationships with each other. Now as you read chapter 3 you're probably thinking to yourself, you know what, this is for the church. This chapter is for the church. The church needs to read this. The church needs to hear this. And I would agree, but I'm here to tell you chapter 3 is not just for the church. In fact, the place that all of this starts, I contend, is in the home. The place where we first need to live out faith in Jesus Christ is in our home. If you want to know how to take your family and make them into good church members, you've got to first flesh it out in the home. And I tell you what, I am far from being a perfect dad, father, husband. I'm far from it. But here's what Angie and I have strived to do in our home. We do not want our kids to see any kind of duplicity from what it's like at home than what it's like at church. The way they see their mom and dad here in the church interacting with church people, praising the God, is the way that that I want my kids to see me at home. When the doors are shut, the blinds are closed, and nobody else is looking. Now, sometimes I can be a little crabby at home, can't I? Occasionally, every once in a while, every blue moon. But you know what? Sometimes I get a little crabby up here, too. That's just life. But you know what? I want my kids to see the real deal. And if I want them to be really good church members, it starts in the home. So chapter 3 is not just for the church, it is for the home. This is the way we live life. And there is a string of imperatives here that serve as a compass for us at home if we are to have solid families. In verses 12 through 14, we are told to let the love of Christ dominate all that we do. Follow with me. Verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now wouldn't you agree with me if that's the way we did church? we would have a better church. If all of us came into this place displaying and manifesting these attitudes towards each other, I mean, this is the way we related to each other, with tender mercies, with kindness, with humility, with meekness, with long-suffering, forgiving one another, loving one another. Wouldn't this be a better place? Well, isn't the the way we're supposed to be? I mean, come on, isn't it? 
And do you know where you learn to act like this? It's in the home. You know why we have problems in churches? Do you know why this world is so messed up? It's because we have not taught our children how to act and interact and relate to other people. When there is dysfunction in the home and the kids aren't seeing from mom and dad how you interact and relate to people, then they're not going to be able to do it at school, at work, in the world, or in the church. Wow. Man. I mean, how in the world can we do that? How can we have this kind of attitude? How can the love of Christ dominate all that we do? Well, we flesh it out at home. We act that way towards one another. Husbands, you love your wives. Wives, you love your husbands. Children, you respect your parents. Moms and dads, love your kids. Just just teach it in the home. Then we do it in the church. Then in verse 15, he instructs us to let the peace of Christ arbitrate all that we do. Look at verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. Let let me tell you what that verse says to me. That verse tells me, you know what, whether it be in church or at home, at home or in church, I am not going to allow conflict to rule. I am going to put my foot down to conflict and say, no, there is not going to be conflict. In my home or in my church, I refuse to allow relationships to be ruined because of conflict. Because that is not what the peace of God is all about. Let me tell you something. If my wife and I are having troubles and we're arguing and fighting all the time, Jesus is not involved in that. Because Jesus doesn't fight with Jesus. So one of us has to be living in rebellion. Not saying which one. But one of us is not acting like Christ. If my kids are constantly fighting with one another, Jesus isn't involved in that. If my kids don't respect us, Jesus is not involved in that. It's only when we have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can have the peace of God in our life and peace with one another. And so he's telling us in verse 15, you just don't allow conflict in your home or in your church. You live in peace, the peace of God with other people. And then he comes to verse 16. This is really where my sermon begins. That's all, all that so far has just been introduction. You're really frightened now, aren't you? But I'm halfway through. Verse 16 challenges us to allow the Word of Christ to saturate all that we do. Here's where the compass comes in. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts toward God. Now, again, when we read that verse, our instinct is to think that this is something that happens at church. And yes, 
This is what is supposed to happen when God's people gather together each week as the church. But I want you to think about how this applies to you as a Christian husband or you as a Christian wife or as a father or mother or student or single adult at home. The Bible is describing here relationships that are saturated with the Word of God. And you know what the word saturate means, don't you? To saturate. It's like a sponge. It soaks things up. And that's what our life is to do. We are to soak up the Word of God so that when the world puts its squeeze on us, what comes out of our life is the pure, unadulterated Word of truth. How does this happen? How do we become saturated with the Word of God? Well, it happens two ways, this verse is. First of all, it happens through instruction. Through instruction. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. The word dwell means to live with. Let the Word of Christ live with you. And again, how does that happen? Well, it happens as we teach and as we admonish and as we exhort one another in all wisdom. This is what a family does. Parents do this to their children. They admonish one another as adults. We teach the Word of God to each other. Again, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who's building his house on a rock. And we need that rock as our foundation. How do we do it? We instruct each other in righteousness. We teach the Word of God. How does this happen? It happens from the parent to the child. I'm going to talk more about this here in a second, but let me just put it in your mind right now. If you are counting on this church to do all the biblical instructing for your children and to teach them what is right and how to act and how to live, You're up a creek without a paddle. Because at best, we're only going to have your kids up here a couple hours a week. And if you're counting on the public schools to do it, it ain't going to happen. If you're putting your kids in Christian schools because you're wanting out on it and you think they're going to do it, you're going to be in trouble. The only person who has been divinely commissioned to pass the faith onto the children and teach your, ch your children what is right from the Word of God is you, Mama and Daddy. That's what Deuteronomy chapter 6 is all about. Every single day we are to be instructing our children from the Word of faith. So you know what? When it's all said and done and your kids don't turn out the way you want them to, or they're in all kinds of trouble, the only person you're going to be able to blame is... I didn't say it, you did, all right? That's just the way it is. That's the way God set it up. That's the way it's supposed to be. How does it happen? You saturate the Word of God in your kids through instruction, but also through devotion. Verse 16 goes on to talk about singing psalms. That is literally what they did in the New Testament church. They would take the book of Psalms, those psalms, and they would sing them. They would put music to them. He talks about hymns, 
singing hymns. Those are other kinds of songs of praise. Then he talked about spiritual songs. Those are songs with spiritual truth to them. And you are to sing these three forms of songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. In other words, let me put it like this. In the New Testament church, they used a variety of different forms of music and songs. They had, they had classic worship. They had Bill Gaither worship. They had praise. They may have even had rap music. I don't know. But they had a variety of worship. So get over the worship thing. They did that. I mean, those wars were fought years ago, all right? They had all of these songs. The point is... We're talking about worship here. We're talking here about the basic practice of Christian worship, singing songs to God. And while we're singing with our lips, our hearts are filled with this praise and gratitude to God because we're not singing to each other. We're singing to Him. And it's worship. Yeah, if this was a Pentecostal church, they would have clapped. But, you know, for Baptists, y'all did okay. That was good. Proud of you. Here's the challenge. I'm serious. Here's the challenge. There was a time when we used to talk a whole lot about family altars and about family worship, where families would get together at times during the week and they would read God's Word and they would pray and they would sing together. I'm afraid we're not doing that much as families anymore, are we? Here's the deal. You listen to me. Families, parents, grandparents, your children are going to be fed the Word of God when they come to this church. They will be fed God's Word. Preschoolers, children, youth, adults, singles, and married. The Word of God is important to us at Kavanaugh Church. It's taught in our Sunday school classes. You're going to hear it from this pulpit. And you know what? When we get together, we're going to worship. We're going to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But I am here to tell you that is no substitute for what needs to happen in homes during the week every single day when dads and fathers and mothers who are in charge determine that the Word of God is going to be taught in our house and it is going to be what we live by. It's going to be our rule and our practice. It's going to be our compass. This is the way we do family. This is the way we do life. It's from the Word of God. And I know that is tough sometimes because all of us have busy schedules. And sometimes you've got to be creative and let God show you those opportunities when you can inject a prayer or a word of truth, but parents and grandparents, moms and dads, we've got to do it. I was having lunch yesterday at this uh, restaurant in another town. And uh, as, as I was sitting there, I, I noticed three young ladies uh, in the table next to us, and I could see them. They, I was facing them. I don't, I don't know how old they were. I'm not good at that anymore, but they, I know they were young ladies. Uh, they were uh, somewhere in the college age. I don't know if they were going to college or if they were out of high school and, and were just young ladies who, who had a profession and were working. I just, they, were, they were in their 20s, young 20s, early 20s, three girls having lunch together. Their meal was brought to them, and before they put a fork in their salad bowls, 
they bowed their heads and one of them led them in prayer. She said a prayer and then all three of them said amen. And I, and I was close enough to hear them. I, I know they were praying to Jesus because I heard Jesus in prayer. They just asked God to bless their food. Here we were in a public restaurant. A lot of people around. These three young ladies, no parents with them. They're three young ladies on their own. Said a prayer before they ate a meal. That impressed me. I think it impressed me because I was thinking about this sermon and where I was in it, and and it just spoke volumes to me. Now, I don't know these girls. I've never seen them before. I'll never see them again, probably. I don't know their background. I don't know their history. I don't know their family life. But here's what I thought in my mind. And I may be way out in left field, but I thought this in my mind. I thought to myself, you know what? These girls were raised right. Somebody taught them right. Somebody, maybe it was their mom and dad, maybe it was their grandparents, I don't know. But somebody left a legacy of faith for these girls. They infused their faith into these girls' lives so that now these girls are grown, they're on their own, they're out by themselves. But you know what? They have enough faith. They've been taught the right thing. They are devoted to Jesus Christ. So even in a public place when mama and daddy aren't looking and nobody else is around but the people of the world, they're still going to pray because they've been taught right. Parents, are you understanding what I'm saying? It is our obligation to love our kids and to saturate their lives with the Word of God. That cannot happen unless it's happened to us first. And then number four, we must let the name of Christ motivate all that we do. Verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Now, I'm going to pick up at the end of the verse, then I'll explain the verse, but I'm impressed that there are three references to giving thanks to God here. We need to be doing that. Huh? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and be thankful, verse 15. Verse 16, sing with gratitude or thankfulness in your heart. Now in verse 17, giving thanks to God through Him. You see, guys, when Christ is all and in all for me, His glory and His name motivates all that I do. Whatever I do, whether it's a deed or an action or a word that I speak, is done for His glory and it's done in His name. This means that I want His reputation to be represented properly in everything that I think, do, say, and all that I am. And that brings us to the commitment. On December 9, 2007, a young man by the name of Matthew Murray shot and killed Tiffany Johnson and Philip Krause at a youth with a mission training center outside of Denver, Colorado. He later went to New Life Church in Colorado Springs and killed two more people. This is a tragic story, but it's also amazingly inspiring. Matthew made his way into the uh, YWAM building, started talking to other students there. He was there for almost a half an hour before he asked the question, can I spend the night here? 
Well, Tiffany was called to the front desk because she handles hospitality and she explained to him that it was not their policy to allow anyone to spend the night there unless they had pre-approved permission to do so. And so she said, I'm sorry, I can't let you do that. And in response, Matthew said, then here's what I have for you. And he pulled out a handgun and emptied a clip shooting her and several other people before he ran out of bullets, left the building, went down to Colorado Springs and killed others. Another student performed CPR on Tiffany and she regained consciousness enough to ask another trainee named Holly, is it bad? She's talking about her condition. Is it bad? Holly said, it's bad. Tiffany looked at Holly, and then she looked at her boyfriend, Dan, who was also shot. And she said, we do this for Jesus. Guys, we do this for Jesus. And she died. I couldn't help but wonder. What kind of family produces a young champion for Jesus who with her last breath is thinking, all that I do, all that I say, all that I am is for Jesus? Let me tell you what kind of family it is. It's a special family. It's the kind of family our churches need. It's the kind of family that this church needs. Leading my family to be healthy church members means that we learn to live the faith at home. That we're not living a life of duplicity. That we're not being fake believers. That what you see is not a facade. That what you get on Sunday mornings and Wednesday night is the same thing that you're going to see in my house if you come Monday night or Friday night or Thursday night or if you see me at Walmart or wherever it may be. It's the fact that we're living the faith and we're passing that on to our kids so that they understand whatever I do, whether it's in thought or word or deed, it's got to be for the glory of God. Because that's the way we live life. Students, when you stand up against sexual temptation or any other kind of temptation, you do it for Jesus. Husbands, when you love your wife sacrificially, you do it because of Christ. You are reflecting the way He loves His church. And mamas and grandmamas, when you take those kids and you hug them and love on them and kiss them, you do it for Jesus. Because everything we think, do, say, all that we are is for Him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take